Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. NFL playoffs Saturday and Sunday. Um, better is the Chiefs. Are we buying too much into the Chiefs Bills game being the being the best game, Stephen? Like, do you feel like maybe we're buying too much of that? And could the could the Packers Niners game or the Ravens? You've mentioned you think the Ravens Texans game might be uh, might be a little bit better game. So is, is it possible that? The Saturday action will be better than the Sunday action. I think it's possible. I mean, anything's possible, right? But I, I don't. I think I, I might. It would be a high, uh, high bet for me to put it on the Chiefs and the Bills. I just think that those two teams, man, they know each other so well that it's going to be close. Where I do think that there is a lot of potential for blowouts. Um, the only other game I think that might be better is the Packers 49ers because the way the Packers have played, Jordan Love has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL the last half of the season. Um, and, and what they did to Dallas and offensively, we you know this, John, the 49ers defense isn't what it has been. So maybe the Packers come out and they score a lot of points. So I think that would be the one other sneaky game um, that could be best of the weekend. Well, our next guest, fresh off covering the debacle last night at Arizona State. If you didn't catch it earlier, Bobby Hurley was uh, upset last night after the UCLA-Arizona State game in uh, in Tempe. And he uh, he let reporters know about it. Um, our next guest was on the scene, saw it, and was in the news conference. And for people who didn't hear um, Bobby Hurley last night, you know, again, his team blew a 15-point lead in the second half. Four technical fouls that were uh, issued to Arizona State. Of course, there was a loss of poise there, a loss of composure. That raises some questions. But Bobby Hurley, I think, justified in coming into the postgame news conference a little bit fired up. Stars, I wish I could say how I really feel. Wish I could say how I could really feel right now. But I'm not going to do that. I am not going to say how I really feel. So I am just going to start out by saying when you look at the at the stat sheet, proud of my team's uh, shooting percentages uh, from three, from two, against a very good defensive team that's you know starting to find itself. And uh, had six turnovers as opposed to, to their 11. And uh, that's all I'm going to say, really. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to talk about how I feel right now. So feel free to ask, ask me anything you want right now. We're pleased with the rebounding effort, especially with their side. I'm pleased with everything that happened on the basketball court besides the free throw line. What was explained to you by No one wanted to explain anything to me. I had to ask to, be, to, to, to explain what happened. But I'm tired of the explanation, so I'm just not going to talk about it anymore. Chris Cartman was on the scene last night, 24-7 sports, Arizona State writer. Um, big scene there with uh, Hurley. What was that news conference like? What was the what was the feel of that postgame? Yeah, it was unlike anything really that I had seen covering Bobby Hurley going on nine years now. Um, he tends to be quite emotional, but this was at a different level. Um, I, I think it was obvious that he was apoplectic, uh, just uh, could not believe uh, what, what he had seen. And it really kind of was surreal 
being there. I asked the last question of that clip you just played, and then I also followed up uh, later asking whether or not this, you felt like this was a cumulative thing because Tony Padilla, the, the uh, referee who called, I believe, three of the technicals uh, on ASU players, has a little bit of history uh, with ASU and officiating games. He officiated their last game uh, at Washington, and there were also some questionable things there. And really in the past, and I was from the outset of the game sort of watching what was going to happen with Padilla and this interaction that he had with ASU based upon the history. I tweeted about it within the first minute or so of the game because he missed what I thought was obvious and one call that Jose Perez sh- should have received. And, you know, ultimately I think – there's no doubt that he influenced the game more than anybody else, uh, even more than people on the courts, because uh, when when you award that many technicals and free throws based upon literally words and and nothing more than words that were exchanged uh, between players or or, or to the officials, um, that's the only sort of takeaway you could have from the one possession game at the end. Yeah, as I watched it, you know, I knew the Padilla-Hurley beef. I, w- I did not know that it was Padilla's second game, and I reached out to the conference. I talked to six other coaches in the conference. They said that it's really rare to have an official work two games, especially bad for Hurley because of the history with Padilla, and, and you know, they just don't get along. And, and I, as I was watching the game, I got the impression that UCLA's players were baiting Arizona State a little bit. Did you get that feel from Press Row? Yeah, I think there was an element to that for sure. Um, And, you know, how it is in in football, you you get the retaliator quite quite a lot more than you get the instigator. Uh, And there was just some instances that you saw where UCLA players, as they were going up, flung their hands um, or they, you know, gave a little bit of an extra something here or there that to me it seemed like that was intended to draw a list of response. And it doesn't mean that ASU players should have – lost their composure, and they certainly did. Um, after being there, I watched uh, our footage and I watched the TV copy to, to take a look at all the instances and how it sort of felt uh, in the aggregate. And uh, there was just – it wasn't a game with a lot of fouls or a bad disposition to it. In fact, prior to Sean Phillips being thrown out of the game, there had been no foul calls for like three minutes of action on the court. And there was nothing in the arena that made you feel like the referees are on the verge of losing this game or there's some big thing that's, that's, that's underscoring this from a, from an instability standpoint. And so I, it just didn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, uh, it, to me, it, it was an ill-tempered official who uh, wants to be an authoritative person, perhaps has some conscious or subconscious sentiment about Bobby Hurley and ASU, and that spilled over into ultimately pretty much costing ASU the game. Of course, as you said, I agree, you cannot just uh, say things to players, get up in their face or anything along those lines, When uh, or even talk back to the official, when you kind of already know that this is the way that they're going to be. So ASU is not blameless whatsoever. The players, absolutely, and we could have a conversation about that as well. But the officiating played a significant part in this. I, I just don't, I can't see any other way. Yeah, and I, you know, I did a little bit of research into Tony Padilla, and you know, his other job in the in his real life, he's a bail bondsman, and you know, I thought that's a really interesting thing that he's an official and a bail bondsman, and you know, it's sort of a theme to his life, and he has a good reputation, 
in the industries, worked multiple Final Fours, but there were some people, as I called around the league, who said he's not a guy you mess with, he doesn't take lip from players, and clearly the other coaches in the conference that I talked with said, bad combination, Bobby Hurley and Padilla, because um, that's just going to be fire and uh, oil and fire and gasoline there. Hurley, uh, to his credit, did say that the players owned part of this. I'm not going to talk about it, but I did, some responsibility certainly lies with with our uh, 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 need to in a heated game where I'm sure there's a lot of communication, and we're the bad guys. So say hello to the bad guys. You may never see a bad guy like us again, but that's who we were tonight. We were the bad guys. So I'm sure no one else said anything except us all night. I find I like Bobby Hurley. I like that he's no nonsense. I like that he's tough. I like that he speaks his mind. Uh, but you're in that news conference, you know, you know, you're you're five feet away from him when he's given that answer, and there's a vein bulging out of his neck when he's doing it. Yeah. Um, look, I didn't in the moment find it that funny because I think I was so engrossed in just his energy um, as being so so negative and hostile despite what he was actually verbalizing but then later re-watching that that clip i laughed like five times i mean i it was funny i don't i don't know if he was intending to do this or not but basically it's, it's very similar to lines that tony montana said in scarface which yeah. i tweeted about <laughs> yes you have you have you have the dinner scene and he gets drunk and he's everybody's looking at him because he's the outcast and he goes through the whole, you know, I, I, I'm the bad guy thing, and then he, and then he uh, says, "Say goodnight to the bad guy" at the end. And, and so I just, I, to me, it was very reminiscent of that, which I found sort of humorous. Um, but I, I also that happened, and uh, yeah, I don't. I just, it's crazy. Yeah, and I think. You know, to me, the 20,000-foot view is, I, you know, as I poked around, Chris, with the Pac-12 conference and other conferences, Big Ten, Big 12, ACC, Mountain West, WCC, all carefully review the officiating assignments. I had one of the conferences, uh, the commissioner of one of those conferences told me it's not uncommon when they know there's a beef between an official and a coach to put some distance between them. And I just think the fact that Padilla did two games in a row tells me that the Pac-12 officiating thing is on autopilot. Like, I don't know if anybody cares. I don't know if anybody noticed, and that bothers me. I think that's a valid point, absolutely. Um, or you could even uh, you know, consider some nefarious, intentional uh, aspect to it if you, if you decided to look at it that way. Uh, but ASU fans... Uh, in the arena uh, and on social media, they're they're asking questions about like how it happens that just the, the, the official that seems to have the most animosity toward toward ASU, or at least what turns out to be the most negative impact on ASU as an official, how he's working back to back ASU games in in the conference, right? Like that's, I mean that that almost doesn't, doesn't ever happen with any officials, much less ones that you are closely following because of some animosity that appears to, to exist. Chris Carpman is with us, covers Arizona State 24-7 sports. Uh, Chris, you do a hell of a job. Uh, also, you know, as part of SunDevilSource.com, you, you're, you're, you're talking about some football. Kenny Dillingham's first year, you, you have a feel for how it went and how much enthusiasm 
that program is has right now in momentum? Well, fans really like him. He was the, the person that they wanted due to his background. I think people are very well-versed in that, grew up locally and graduated from ASU and all that. But um, the, the year was disappointing, and, and a huge part of that was, was injuries. Um, more offensive injuries than any team at ASU that I've covered going back almost 20 years now. Um, they, they, they had seven or eight offensive linemen who were among their top 10 offensive linemen miss multiple games and including some of their best players up at the position. Um, they were traveling seven scholarship linemen who were red shirts to one of their road games, you know, and they had, they were, they were playing their fourth string quarterback by the third game of the season and did not have Jaden Rashad, their talented freshman quarterback for all but three games of the season Drew Pine was injured for most of the season. Trenton Bourget was injured for part of the season. That just makes it really difficult when you're trying to get up to speed in your first year. Their defense had some very good moments, great games, like at Washington, everybody knows, and then had some really bad performances, including the last two of the season. I think that they were quite thin in spots, and they got sort of worn down, and then they had some injuries also on the defensive side, and and they, they kind of fell apart at the end of the season. But um, I think the players like uh, playing for him. The culture seems to be in, in a good place and, and trending better. You know, uh, this this off season they were in in the top twenty in the transfer portal, and I think they filled some spots that they needed pretty effectively. Um, but really, it's going to come down to quarterback whether or not Sam Levitt, the Michigan State transfer from Oregon, you guys know him well, or uh, whether Jaden Rashada is able to elevate uh, a good enough level. To, to move this program into the bowl consideration this this year. We're talking to Chris Karpman. He is in Tempe, and you can read his work at sundevilsource.com. Chris, I really appreciate you joining us. Um, I think it was, a, it was a disappointing thing that happened last night. You know, I think that ASU team's pretty good. I think that the conference is kind of wide open, hoping that Arizona State can get it back together, get it back uh, on the rails. But uh, keep an eye on Bobby Hurley for us. And we'll talk to you down the road. Sounds good. Appreciate it. All right. There's Chris Cartman. You can find him on Twitter, at Chris Cartman. Uh, some NFL parting thoughts. It's going to dominate tomorrow's show, but we're going to start that domination in the next segment. Stay tuned. Grab a podcast to this radio show wherever you get a podcast. Make sure you subscribe. If you're listening now on the podcast, hit that subscribe button. Make a commitment to us. Um, look, I... I know that I always say it's a quarterback-centric game because it is in the NFL, but I'm thinking about the quarterbacks specifically in these NFL uh, divisional playoff games on Saturday and Sunday. Houston and Baltimore, Green Bay and San Francisco on Saturday, Tampa Bay and Detroit, and Kansas City and Buffalo on Sunday. And I'm thinking about the quarterbacks specifically for these teams. And I'm going to ask you this question, Stephen, because I've been thinking about it. There are some teams that are more quarterback-reliant than others. And I think Kansas City is a great example of that on Sunday. Patrick Mahomes, you know, that's where it starts, and that's where it finishes for the Chiefs on offense. You know, maybe Jordan Love for Green Bay uh, on Saturday. But which of these quarterbacks, of the eight quarterbacks starting these playoff games, which of these quarterbacks is most needed to come up big by their team. 
Meaning, I kind of think San Francisco and Brock Purdy, like I think San Francisco could win that game even if Purdy doesn't have his A game. But who has to have an A game on Saturday? And who has to have an A game on Sunday for their teams to win? For me, the, my very first thought is Josh Allen. And it's not even necessarily that he needs an A game. He just can't have his F game where he turns it over. Bills, 29-5 and five when he doesn't turn the ball over. I, and Josh Allen, you know, the thing is, is he doesn't turn the ball over throughout the season in a lot of games. It's a lot of games where it's two, three, four turnovers in a game. I think as long as the Bills and Josh Allen can hold on to the football, they're the better team, and they're better than Kansas City. And I think that they will win this game if they don't give Patrick Mahomes easy field position. They don't make mistakes and let Isaiah Pacheco run it down their throats right at the end, get a field goal here, get a touchdown there. I think as long as Josh Allen can hold on to the football, whether it's you know not throwing interceptions, he also fumbles the ball a lot when he gets sacked. If he can hold on to the football and possess it, I think Buffalo is the better team. And so I think that is the most important thing going into this week is for Buffalo is they just need a game from Josh Allen where he doesn't make mistakes. And I'm not convinced that he can do that because he's done that in a lot of big spots where he does turn the ball over. But I really do think, John, that Buffalo is the better team than Kansas City, and they just need to keep the football. Um, the other one that comes to my mind is Josh Allen. The other one is Jordan Love. Jordan yes. Love was awesome against Dallas. Awesome. you know, Almost a perfect quarterback rating. But he almost needs to be better. And it's weird to say because there were some throws that he made against Dallas that were great, but he also had a couple throws that were wide open. You think of the Luke Musgrave touchdown he had down the field. I mean, I think you and me could have made that throw down the field. He was that wide open. Jordan Love's going to have to make some tough tight window passes against that 49ers defense against the uh, if the Packers want any chance of uh, competing in that one. All right, I'm going to I'm going to go a little different. I think um you know, as I look at the Tampa Bay game and the Lions on Sunday. I think on Sunday the bigger performance that is a must have for their team is Baker Mayfield for Tampa Bay. I cuz I just that offense for the Buccaneers, 23rd in the league on offense. 17th, and they don't run the ball. They're 32nd in the NFL, rushing the football. Baker Mayfield has got to have a big game, or I think the Lions are going to run away with that one. And so I think the Buccaneers are heavily reliant upon Baker Mayfield having a great game. And then I agree with you about Jordan Love on Saturday. And I just think, you know, I'm hearing all this talk. This is a great 49ers defense. Hearing all this talk about how much better Love has been how much how he's playing better football, how there's a new dimension to his game. Well, it's time, I guess, for him to show it. I mean, Matt LaFleur talked about the growth of Jordan Love here. Listen to what he said. Jordan Love, wow. That was that's about all I can say, Pete, is wow. Um what he did and the poise he shows, the command he shows, the 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 touchdown pass to Dontavian Wicks. Um it was an all out look. We were obviously in the empty set for him to hang in there and get that throw, and Wicks made a hell of a catch. But those are those are things that uh, you, you just can't necessarily – you can try to coach it, but what a moment for him. Um, to me, that was a big-time play. It just shows the growth that he's had uh, from his first start versus KC to now. Um, just so proud and happy for him. Um, uh, he is, he, he is, he's a dude. He is a real dude. Matt LaFleur knows 
that Jordan Love's got to be confident going into you, this game. Do you find it interesting with the Packers? Because my dad's a Packer fan. He loves Jordan Love. He, he was on him when he wasn't having a great season. He told me, he said, Stephen, he goes, you know, I watch these podcasts and they're saying they're putting Jordan Love in the right spots. It's interesting to me, John, that the Packers at the end of Aaron Rodgers' tenure in Green Bay weren't as good with Matt LaFleur because it seemed like he he was uh, – Rodgers had his fingerprints all over the offense. You know, they'd call the play call in. He would direct all this traffic. Whereas Jordan Love, LaFleur's calling the play call, loves running the play, and it's working very yeah. well right now. I find that very interesting that, you know, it's almost one of those things where, you know, the offensive mind of Matt LaFleur and the offensive mind of Aaron Rodgers, they were both too good for one another, and they both couldn't coexist. Where now you look at Jordan we're Love, stubborn, yeah, we're I, stubborn. I, I younger, mean, you know, may, you know, maybe Aaron Rodgers didn't want to do what Matt Lafleur wanted to do. Yeah, now you got a younger guy, Jordan Love, who's just willing to intake all this knowledge, and it is working very well for the Packers. And I think you're right with Jordan Love. Like, if he has a good game, that Packers offense is dangerous, and I think that they may have a chance here against the 49ers as long he, as Jordan Love has that A game. He has to have an A game because you know, as I look at the Packers, they they're leading rushers under 700 yards for the season. You know, and I. And I think it's no disrespect to Brock Purdy, who had a great year, was mentioned as an MVP candidate for a good portion of the year. But the 49ers' best offensive players are Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and George Kittle. I mean, like, you know, he's got weapons. Jordan Love has got to do a lot of this himself. He's got 32 touchdown passes. They're going to they're gonna need a big game from him. And they actually, I think he's a pretty good matchup for the 49ers' pass rush in that, you know, he can move a little bit. And so... I do think the Niners are um, going to win the game, and I don't think the Packers will be much running the ball. So that's why I think Jordan Love's got to have a huge game for them to stay in this thing and and uh, and make it a game. But um, I disagree a little bit on on Josh Allen because I think to me, you know, he's a great player. So is Patrick Mahomes, but to me, so much of that Kansas City Buffalo matchup comes comes down to other people. Buffalo's defense, Buffalo's ability to run the ball. Um, you know, the weather, and, and I'm thinking about all of those things. I'm not really going, like, Josh Allen needs to throw four touchdown passes. or But, I, you know, I guess what you said was he just needs to avoid throwing three interceptions and, and having that bad game. And I, I just think on Sunday the bigger emphasis, it's not Detroit's quarterback, it's, it's Baker Mayfield. Can Tampa win that game? Can Tampa end the Cinderella season of the Detroit Lions? Yeah, you're right on that. If they are to end the, you know, to go into Detroit and win that game, you're right. It's going to be Baker Mayfield because that running attack with Rashad White, it's not, it's not great. And they do have weapons on the outside. You know, that's the thing. Chris Godwin, really good receiver. Mike Evans, really good receiver. Detroit has been vulnerable this season. So you're right. If Baker's goes out there and he slings it around, maybe that that's how Tampa can stay in that game. Um, I just. And, and, you know, we didn't even talk about Jared Goff. Like, I just don't think it's really necessarily on him. Um, as you said, you know, Patrick Mahomes, we know he's going to put up a good performance no matter what. It's going to be on the receivers. What about can the Texans the game? Can the t- I mean, are you looking at all at the Texans game and going, hey, they need they need C.J. Stroud to have a fantastic game to be in that? That thing. was my other thought was C.J. Stroud. He was, he was on my thought process, too, because I do think – if the Texans are to compete, he's going to have to have an, have an elite game because that running tech isn't great as well, and the defense has struggled, but D'Amico Ryans gets them going. So, yeah, I think Stroud's going to have to have another big game um, throwing the football. The thing that I – you know, I, maybe put C.J. Stroud not in the top for me, John, and put Jordan Love and Josh Allen is C.J. Stroud has these playmaker receivers and Nico Collins last week that we saw. He just kind of dumped out little screen passes to him and let Nico do all the work. So I think there is some potential where – 
they can just throw it out to their playmakers at wide receiver, Nico Collins especially, and he can make some plays that CJ Stroud doesn't necessarily have to make the pinpoint throw, where I think with the Packers and Jordan Love, Love's going to have to throw the ball down the field, and he's going to have to pinpoint some things. All right, here's a question. I watched Brock Purdy with everybody watching. 49ers were playing the Ravens earlier this season. It was, all the MVP talk was at a, at a, at a height for, for Brock Purdy, and he had a horrible game, and he couldn't do anything right. And, you know, concussed, whatever, bad game. Which starting quarterback has the greatest potential to implode this weekend? Oof. I like that question. Um, Because good quarterbacks think, can implode. I think, it can happen. It can I, happen to any of them. I kind of, I think it's Jared Goff. I think Jared Goff has a chance to implode. Todd Bowles, he blitzes most in the NFL. Percentage-wise, I mm. looked this up, the bl- the Buccaneers blitz more than any other team in the NFL. Jared Goff, not mobile. Jared Goff has had struggles this year, especially against the Chicago Bears early this year when they put pressure on him. There's a chance where the Buccaneers get some pressure on Jared Goff with all the blitzes, and there's a pick-six opportunity. So I-, I think it's Jared Goff, who had a nice game last week against the Rams. I think the way the Bucks' defense is, it could be either hit or miss, where Goff has a huge game or Goff has a game where he just throws you know two, three picks and puts Baker Mayfield and the Bucks' offense in good positions. I, I am looking at the defenses. Um, I am thinking that the San Francisco defense has the potential to give Jordan Love a very long day. You know, sometimes the stage is too big for the play, and I think that potential exists in two games. Is it... Is it C.J. Stroud having a bad game against the Ravens defense? Is it Jordan Love having a bad game against the Niners defense? I think Baker Mayfield, Goff, Mahomes, Allen, I think there's enough experience on Sunday that you don't have an implosion. But keep an eye on Saturday's game. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.